again, if you're, if you're a club racer, um, maybe less so in like chump car, or even chump cars, probably the same way, but especially club racing, NASA or ACCA, you would never be in a field of whatever class and in the paddock and walk over to your competitor and like walk into their pit a little bit and stick your head and look under their car and start looking. The owner of that car would say, excuse me, can I help you? Um, do you mind? This is our paddock. Don't, you know, like, don't be snooping around my car. And the guy says, oh, oh, sorry. I just wanted, hey, can I take a look at your data? They're like, what? What? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Can I look at your video? <laughs> now let's flip that over. In Max's Cup, we're actually, the leaders in the series are actually proactive. Anybody, we look, at the, one of the first things we do is we look at practice times before qualifying. If we have any new drivers in the series that are like way off the pace, we will assign amongst ourselves, okay, I'm gonna go talk to this guy, you talk to this guy. We go get their video. We go get their data card, their AIM Solo or whatever it is they have. And we have the software on our laptops for race pack and AIM and everything. We bring them back into Race Central, which is Williams RV, and we go over their video with them. It's like, oh, okay, you need to stay in third here. Okay, here, you know. Turn in six feet earlier. Turn in, yeah, get go the through, curb all the way. Go through everything. And yeah. if they have an AIM, we'll overlay our data. We can see this is what we're doing. And you're actually, hey, you're pretty close here, here, and here, but this is where you're losing all the time in this one turn because you're missing Apex. And instead of the thing where like, how do I learn how to go fast? And we always say this in club racing, you know, when you're outside of racing, people who were listening to this, who were say autocrossers or just Canyon drivers, HPD guys, they might look up to quote unquote road racers like, oh, those guys are really fast. What you don't realize is that people who have club racing licenses are no different from the people who have driver's licenses. They know how to spell their name and they can breathe and they can sign a form. <laughs> There's absolutely no skill involved in getting a club racing license. I won't even say that you don't even have to crash into people because you can actually crash into people in your driving school yeah. and spin your car off no, and this, total it and you'll still get your license. Yeah. It's, 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 it's truth, ludicrous. No, truth be told, yeah. I actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's so many people to me that, you know, that aren't into Sorry, it Brett. at all, and they want to go racing. And the first thing they focus on is, oh, I got to go get a, go go to comp school. I got to build a race car, go to comp school, start racing. But to me, those people don't have as much fun and don't stick around as long because no one loves running at the back. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, a place for HPDE. Yeah. You can burn out on it. Yeah. There's a place, you know, for HPDE for people to learn to drive quickly and then be able to progress into wheel to wheel. And then really be able to fine tune it. Yeah, I, I will give uh, uh, NASA that actually does a really good job of that. Their hierarchy program, where they do HPD one, two, three, four, and they build you into racing, they actually do teach you track awareness. They teach you discipline, which is a big thing. I mean, I think you're a little harsh on it, but on the flip side, I that's what you need to do. You need to stick people. Says no, no, listen, you got to learn to stay on the track. It's okay to push yourself, but if you're flying off the track all the time you're not understanding what the whole idea of getting yeah. car control is and you have to understand car control. Now, what they don't always do is have some guy who's teaching you car control, but that's but but the idea of bringing you up in a progression in and then and then finally say okay, now you can run close next to people, you can observe the flags, you can keep it on the track and you're going pretty fast and nobody's you know bitching about you. You're ready to, you know, you're ready yeah. for I mean, look at school. look at Dan, you know, moving up through HPDE stuff and then yeah. doing TT stuff and then, you know. Shout out NASA Great Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, really. Eric, yeah, yeah, no, seriously. NASA Eric Meyer took over the that, HPDE program. program a couple of years ago, completely revamped it. Um, Gerwitz is leading HPDE 4. They did data acquisition, like 
giveaways, not really rentals, but they had three or four units available. That's huge. For all the D4 yeah. drivers, they passed them around car to car. They went over the data after the sessions. And this is just DE guys. But and that I, is critical. I would say, I personally, being biased to the Great Lakes region, I would say that Great Lakes DE4 would rival the fastest of any other DE4 or SV Red Group or whatever. Like the DE4 guys in Great Lakes are fast as shit. Yeah, if you if you have an environment where there's proactive teaching on the esoteric parts of 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 driving, then you 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 get progression. You don't always get that in club racing. So um, a, a big thing for us was to take the people who would come up through HPDE. And unfortunately, so we see this, we, we talk about this quite a bit. We have long conversations about how people, how people learn. And it has to do with, um, a lot of times you learn things by rote. Uh, it's like, um, here's an example. Look at people who do Gran, Gran Turismo, do the license tests. So some of that is car control and handling. But a lot of it is just learning, learning by rote. After like your 30th time on one license test, you finally get gold. Yeah. But by then, you've, you've memorized, muscle memorized everything. So a lot of people learn racetracks completely muscle memorized. So you put them in that same car, and now it's raining, and they cannot keep it on the track. Yeah. All they've learned is how to drive it in the dry when the weather's good. Same line. Same line. Yeah. Or you put them in a front drive car. Or they've, they've learned everything on RS3s, and suddenly you put them on Hoosiers, they can't keep it on the track. Or vice versa. They learned on Hoosiers, put them on RE71s, they can't keep it on the track. And so they only learn one way to do it. And a big thing was for us is try to expand on the esoteric parts of driving, like how you're adapting to the car, how you're adapting to the conditions, pay attention to what the car is doing. So if the car changes, you can deal with it. Like for us, we have, you know, in sprint racing, it's, if it's a long race, if we do a 34 minute race here in California, it's hot and people in Texas can totally relate to this. Your tires go off. Yeah. You got to deal with that. So how do you follow some guy around or some gal around? We have women in our series, a couple, a couple of ladies in our series. Yeah. They're, um, they're really fast. And they're too. fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they are. They're probably faster than you. <laughs> now, I had actually, I'd written a, an article uh, for Ross Bentley back like January, February, kind of talking about that. Like there's a lot of people that'll run HPD events and if the car's not handling the way they want it they to, cope. they come in. Yeah, yeah. And they come in and they just quit, you know, and then like they make a couple modifications, but I've always encouraged people to stay out and learn how to drive around it. You, you'll probably learn I'll something. What, we make a really big deal about this. So in California, we always joke about the rain. Well, the truth is, yeah, we don't get a lot of rain. When it does rain, the tracks become skating rinks. They have no grip and because they've got three years of rubber built up on them, right? So we really heavily push, and I mean we go on a media blitz, uh, me and Sonny in particular, on um, berating all the drivers. who are saying, oh, I don't want to rain. It's difficult. <laughs> it's hard to load my car in the trailer. I says, listen, you will learn more in one HPDE day of hucking it off the track over and over again, spinning in the rain, then you will a year of driving. Yeah. I mean, unless you have a coach, if you have a, a good quality paid coach, you'll learn there. But if you're not, if you're not getting quality paid instruction, sliding around on a racetrack trying to keep it on, you'll learn more about limit handling, getting the car sideways, gathering it up. And this is the thing: what we started realizing, particularly with people who come up through HPD programs. And this is uh, this would be my only criticism for for the the NASA system is they penalize you so heavy for going off you get afraid to push the limits of the car so there's a balance. Part part of it is because of you know track limits and grass and walls and stuff. Well, it's, Safe, the East, it's, safety, the, yeah. it's what I call the East Coast factor. Yeah. So on the East Coast, you've got grass 
and you've got guardrails, a K rail, and you can't go off. You got to teach people, hey, listen, if you flirt with that, you might go home in a life flight. So don't flirt with that. And that is the right lesson to teach. I get that. The fast line is literally rubbing your passenger side rearview mirror on the, on the wall. wall. Through Thunder Valley. Thunder Valley, yeah. yeah. I learned that when I was there too. Yes, like you, you hang the tires over the paint or like, for, you know, here when it's, you know, if, if the curbs are wet and the car won't rotate in, you use the curbs to get the car unsettled so it'll rotate in, you know, and then you look and you shoot across the slippery part for that tacky part that's on the side. That's sort of, Willow Sunrise. You go yeah. out onto the curb, you yeah. turn in on the curb to get the car to rotate, and then you go back onto the main pavement Where it hooks and you up. full throttle. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that's all advanced, advanced stuff. But when you're teaching somebody... Um, what we found, uh, uh, is people don't learn, um, people turn advanced car control. So this is driving around, driving around, never having spun a car at anything over more than about 40 or 50 miles an hour, never, ever having spun a car only in the dirt. And so you spin a car coming off a turn and there's a wall there and an experienced driver will know how to keep the wheel turned, pay attention to what they're doing as the car's going around backwards and keep it off the wall. But an inexperienced driver takes his hands off, doesn't do two feet in because they never, nobody ever told him to do two feet in and right. they go smashing into the wall over <laughs> right. and over and over again. So that, um, I just had the nitro stout. That's really good. That's what I just had was yeah. the nitro. Oh, the nitro? But I think I'll try an 805. That, yeah, that's a, that's a semi-local beer. You got to go to Foster Firestone Walker now that you're here in California. Yes. That brewery. We should, a very special We brewery. should take a field trip. That's, that sounds like oh, a plan. It's on our list. We should go see so, if they want to sponsor a podcast. There we go. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Podcast. That's a whole new business model. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, um, this, this learning by rote thing um, became, we started to see that even in Max's Cup because we'd see people come up from HPDE and they could drive really quickly, but we realized that they had learned, again, learned by rote. If the conditions changed, they weren't able to cope with, with the conditions. So we really started working on... Um, and this is a difficult thing to do, but really forcing all the drivers to go out and drive in the rain. So those of you listening, if it's inconvenient driving in the rain, um, it's more expensive. You have any kind of re reservations, suck it up. If you want to become advantage a, of it, if you want to become a better driver, go and push your limits. Get the car broken loose. Drive in the rain. Doesn't matter if the tires. Say, oh, but I don't have any rain tires. Good. Yeah, even better. Well, even better. Just, 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 just to clarify, have tires with tread. Don't go on ball tires. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, there's been times, I've talked about it on the show before, there's been times where as long as there's not, like, standing water. Yeah. Uh, I used to run Hoosier A6s in the, in the wet, you, you know, in the hot. rain, and they were faster than street tires would yes. be, like treaded street tires, yep. just because the grip would yep. overcome the watershedding capabilities. We did uh, an enduro uh, a couple of years ago in, uh, at Sonoma. It was a four-hour enduro. And I went out on uh, scrub, so basically one heat cycle prepped um, SM6s, or R6s, I forget. Anyway, SM, pretty, at that time it was the same tire. Now it's two different tires, SM7, R7, slightly different. But back then, SM6 and R6 were the same. Anyway, went out on those 205s on, uh, in Crusher in, in a four-hour Enduro, and it was uh, mixed conditions, wet, dry, raining. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had, I remember we had a caution flag, and I was working to keep the tires hot on what was semi-dry line. And I could feel the tires were actually working. And so when, when, when it went to a green flag, um, I was doing really well. I, other people had wet tires, and they couldn't keep in temperature in them. And so if you think slicks don't work in mixed conditions when there's a partial dry line, it's just a matter of keeping heat them. They will actually work. You come off the track, and they'll be 140, 150 degrees and steaming. Yeah. So, but you, you have to work at it. So you have to keep them loaded, and you have to drive really smooth and everything. But um, it, it is possible to make um, 
So when you say uh, about having tread, even a race tire, I've driven NTO1s that had very little tread on in the rain, and you could actually, unless it was full standing, standing water. water. Yeah. Yeah. Standing water, yeah. then yeah. Standing always, water you need it. Then you just stay off the track because then you can do a snap spin. And you want When you get into the situation where you're getting into constant snap spins where the car just hits a puddle and snaps sideways, and you, you get, that's a risk. You can't take it off the track or dial it way back. But when you can get through those puddles and the car just does a little, you know, that little picks up the revs a little bit, just keep driving. If you've got pretty much grip everywhere and you feel um, this is a way to learn your local club track particularly because uh, your pro tracks, they tend to be repaved uh, periodically, um, more frequently, and it's all paved at the same time and they're really smooth. Like here we have Laguna Seca, which is a FIM track, they race MotoGP. So the rec- it's, it has to be- Nice pavement. It's, yeah. it's, it's flawless, perfect pavement, no bumps anywhere. But your club tracks, they don't have that kind of budget. They don't run MotoGP, so the tracks are all bumpy. They have Gingerman. Yeah, they all do. Gingerman's Every, nice now, man. It's nice now. Gingerman's but nice now. Tracks now. all across the country that people listening to this are familiar with. They all they're they're all going, oh yeah, that's a legend. That is. <laughs> yeah. We all have in every region. You typically have one, maybe two nice pro tracks and three, four, or five club tracks. And the club tracks are the bumpy ones yep. with kind of mishmash curbs. Run off. Those are always the fun ones to me. They're a little more well, technical. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm getting at. Yeah. This is what I'm getting at. When it rains, don't go run the pro track because that's going to have great traction. The track, the pavement's yeah. like Velcro. It's nice and coarse. And go the walls with, are usually really close. <laughs> go run yeah. the club track that's got the old pavement where the, the the aggregate is worn down and smooth, and they have patches and it's concrete and, and there's sealer. seam sealer yeah. and curbs that are painted. And so tall you can curves drive there. You can drive anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And this is I'm the key spoiled, thing. Man. This is the key thing about the learning by rote. We, I have always placed a very high value. I talked about this in my previous, the previous podcast about the guys who do test driving. And you have to learn how to drive a vehicle, whatever its setup is, whatever the conditions is, at the limit of what it's capable of. Not what you're capable of, what the limit of the car is. And you have to learn the car. So if you get in, you're like, well, I'm used to my car doing this, my car. But this new car that I'm in doesn't handle like this. And maybe it is my car, but it's got crappy tires on it. And it handles like a car I'm not familiar with. How do I adapt? Yep. That, to me, is the measure driver. And that's what we really try to focus on in Max's Cup. Like, if it rains, you go take whatever car you have. You throw whatever tires you have, and you go out and you spend all day doing it. And the drivers that have done it, they always come back and they always say, yeah, you're right. That's, I, I didn't realize I could save it. I got it sideways a couple times at 80 miles an hour, and I gathered. Twice I went off. One time they had to pull, to pull me out scraped the mud off, I went back out, and I finally got it where I could get the car sideways and catch it. It's like, okay, this is a huge deal. Because we see drivers in HPDE that this is the, the pattern where they go slow around the track, and they go faster and faster and faster, and they chuck it off. Ooh, they slow down. They go faster and faster and faster and faster, and chuck it off. Ooh, they slow down. Finally, they learn how to go fast without chucking it off. What they don't learn is how to save a slide. They don't know how to learn, yep. learn how to get the car sideways and catch it. And so we just, I watch these videos, and sorry, I sound, I'm going to say I sound like a dick when I say Listeners, this. Listeners, go to a drift day. Go to, go to a drift <laughs> Seriously, day. learn how to catch a slide. Go, go, go ice racing. Go, go ice racing. Go screw around in a parking lot. Go rally crossing. I learned driving in the snow. I yeah. learned, I spent, when I lived, I lived in Maine, in Massachusetts for a year and a half. Huh. And I would go in my little Chevy Monza, which is like a Chevy Vega, a little piece of crap, front engine, rear drive, four-cylinder car. Total piece of crap. But I would go rally that thing, and I learned how to spin it and do 360s and get sideways and, and go on uh, uh, where there was like almost no traction and modulate the throttle and balance it, balance it on throttle and do like drifts with the back end <laughs> hung out. 
and I learned throttle you know, steering. It, it makes a big difference, you know. Um, I've had the opportunity to work at a couple places that have skid pads and things like that, such as the Porsche facilities. Can you facilities. talk about? Oh yeah, to talk um, about that, by the way. Yeah. So, but it, it's always been really interesting when a guest will come in. Um, to a facility like that where they're going to be sliding the car and stuff. And I started noticing, like, when people would say that they were from Southern California or Phoenix or, you know, Texas or, no like, rain. anywhere right. where, there's where, there's no, yeah, yeah. where there's no snow. <laughs> High traction events. Yeah. Like, getting them to understand what counter-steering was just did not Form. compute. Didn't compute, yeah. Didn't compute at all. But then you get people from, like, the Midwest or Chicago or Pacific Northeast, like, Northwest. I'm across exiting my driveway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, to pull out of the driveway to, like, just get on the street, you have to, like, you have to counter-steer. So right. It's, uh... It was really, really interesting and, and insightful for me. So this is a, this is an extreme example of this. Is uh, and I, I'm not really exact country. It's either Sweden or Norway or oh, for the driving school. Driving or, school, or, yeah, or, yeah Nordic countries in general. I think it's Sweden. There's actually a Swedish driving school like here in LA somewhere. To learn to get a regular driver's license. You basically have to be like an accomplished rally driver. Yeah. Well, oh, they, uh, you, Top Gear did a thing. You have to finish top Finland. 10. Oh, was it Finland? Specifically. <laughs> at least the known example. Oh, is that the one where the little kid, like the 12-year-old, was driving something and like beating everybody? Well, I, I remember there was like that. a 12-year-old kid that was that was like a rally driver Yeah, for yeah, Top yeah, Gear. Yeah, yeah. And like a Volvo or something. These, yeah. So the, to get the driver's license in some of these uh, Scandinavian countries, um, you do have to take part of your test in the snow and they, they force you to break the car loose and catch a slide. They do emergency braking maneuver, all these really kind of advanced maneuvers. And you don't just have to be able to do it. You have to do actually be able to do, do it pretty it well. well. You have yeah. to do it well. So the people, your average like mom, grocery getter, Volvo in those countries can totally kick your ass in the snow. <laughs> She's probably faster than you around VR. Yeah. Also, also, too, the, the mandate so, is that because you have to take the driving school and the driving school is expensive, they have to take it seriously yeah. because yeah. it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, the Japan uh, Japanese motorcycle tests are like to get your driver's li your motorcycle license in Japan. So like the Gymkhana. It's very very difficult and it's expensive and and it's a tiered system where you have to get a license for a small displacement and then the next tier and the next tier and and it's very that's, so when you finally get to the point where you can drive like a, a thousand cc bike in in Japan, you can really ride. There's some measure of respect because they know that you've gone through all those license schools. You can actually kind of ride the thing. Yeah. It's, have you seen the motorcycle to, like autocross slash like Gymkhana courses that they have in Japan? Oh, it's nuts! It, where they yeah. slide around, they do Gymkhana, right? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, so the the whole thing there is, if you're taking the time to take an entire body of students and teach them the right way, you can totally elevate that entire group beyond another group that's not being taught the same way, even if they have the same level of talent. And that was again another one of the epiphanies we had. It's like Let's not make this about, okay, William and I had spent a lot of money racing NASA. And it was really expensive. We spent anywhere from 100 to 150 grand a year doing, doing that in club racing. Which, again, if you're Porsche right. guys. I <laughs> uh, spent less than a tenth <laughs> of that. <laughs> so, so we were spending that for club racing. That's a typical, if you want to race, win national the championships. Top level, yeah. yeah, your runoffs guys are like, that's what you spend. Yeah, you want I mean, those guys are building cars just for runoffs. Those are, they're yeah. building forty to $60,000 rotisserie builds. Yeah. Um, you know, and those motors don't last very long, and they're six to $9,000 long blocks, and yeah, the whole deal. So, um, and they don't just show up on, on an open trailer behind uh, behind the Camry. They've got sh they show up with the crew and the whole deal. You need right? to talk Mazda into allowing the winner of the Super Miata series to, to be, be eligible, eligible for the shootout. 
It's, it's in the works. We're working on that. We're working on that. <laughs> As the shootout qualifier. Yeah. So. Yeah, what are so, you doing here, man? Aren't you I, supposed to be in New Orleans? I should be in NOLA right now. I, I just texted Justin Hilly, wished him good luck. Shout out. Justin Hilly. <laughs> shout out NASA Great Lakes. Dude, uh, guy. Shout out yep. Ohio. Uh, he might be from Michigan, but whatever. I we think don't. he's from Michigan. Yeah, I, I won't say that word out loud again. <laughs> the state up north, but yeah, he's a. Uh, other area? Yeah. Where those other sports ball teams? Sports ball so, teams from up north. <laughs> so, what, what's the future for, for Super Miata? What's going on for the 2017 well, season that you can talk so about? So, one, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we. Okay, so again, so we 13, we did the, the sample races. 14 was our first series, basically no sponsors whatsoever. We did it on the 205 RC1. Uh, next year for 15, we went to the 225 RC1. Um, again, no sponsors. 16 this year, um, we worked with NASA, or NASA, forgive me that, with Maxis to become uh, the title sponsor of the series. So they, they gave us a bunch of tires and a little bit of cash to spend on the drivers. So we did like a rebate series, uh, uh, program for the tires. Um, so it makes the tires really inexpensive. There isn't a lot of other expenses in, in, in the race series. We also got winding road to recognize our series. So the, the standard winding road contingency applies. Um, we're talking to Mazda about making it um, uh, offering contingencies in in uh, cool. Max's Cup for, for next year. They do contingency for Formula Drift. Yeah, they should definitely do contingency. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just a matter of it's, it's a matter yeah. of doing it's a matter of get, getting across the T's and dotting the I's. But yeah. um, so we're we're looking we're looking at that. That'll be something we do for next year. So as I said earlier, we we talked initially. The, the, the original plan was I wanted to do a turbo Miata thing, but this is like like a spec turbo Miata. This is like series. ten twelve years ago. Yeah, and then it became a Rotrex thing when those proved to be a little bit more reliable on the track than the existing turbo kits because the existing turbo kits. You had to modify them. You had to yeah. like have special knowledge. Like, well, I don't want to be in the turbo Miata business. I just want to buy a kit and have everybody buy this kit and stick them in the car. And the original Crafters kit was close, wasn't quite. So that all, you know, didn't happen. The Jackson kit on paper would be really good if they'd ever release it. Yeah, but so that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, so that hasn't happened. And, and you know, not to beat up the guys there, but I know that they're a small company like we are. They have limited resources. Yeah. And Oscar. Senior is a one-man band when it comes to R&D. He does all of the R&D. Um, unlike here, um, John Wing is our is our engine, in-house engineer, and he does the bulk of the, the the heavy lifting in terms of engineering. But I'm very much involved in the R&D, and actually, even Sonny and Dan are getting involved in measuring, testing stuff. So we have a, a bit of a team. Whereas at Jackson, it's basically Oscar Senior, and he's also doing OEM consulting. He's doing this Bonneville programs and then running his uh, the race team for for his son which is as you know if you're running a, a national championship winning race team it's yeah. not it's, it's not part-time it's, it's a lot of work and he's selling 949 racing 6 ul's yeah that's right yes. yeah these are, yeah, yeah we should be mentioning he's just saying he is a, a, one of our one of our uh, one of our uh, west coast dealers for for our wheels but in any case so i get that they haven't got it done no no you know no no problems there but just the same it wasn't possible so um Around this time, and this is a. I should. I should do. A, I want to do a backstory. I'm terrible about backstories. Backstories are so long and rambly. I'll, I'll try to make it short. I'll try to make it short. Okay, so if you're not a Miata guy, I'm timing you. Go. If you're if, if you're not a Miata guy, um, you've every. It's 7:41 p.m. If you want to do a Miata 
on the track and you want to make it fast, the first thing is like, well, let's do a turbo in it, right? That's always been, for years, that's been do, uh, just do a turbo. There never existed any off-the-shelf. V8. Woo! America! Dude, America! <laughs> push rods. So anyway, um, that, that race-ready turbo kit that you could just push a button on a website and have it show up, bolt it on, and go drive at the racetrack, it never really existed. It didn't really exist, yeah. Until and now. Until now. So shout um, out Andrew Kidd, track speed engineering. There Andrew you go. Kidd, track speed engineering. TSC. Gotcha this time. There you go. TSC, bro. Um, so there's a young guy. Um, God, he's got to be what 26, 28 years old. He's still. He's, he's our age. Twenty. Our age. Six, six, 26, 27, 28. Austin and Dan. <laughs> but he's, yeah. he's 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 up to. He had he had one of the original Fly Me Auto Turbo kits, and like everybody else, who had one of the Fly Me Auto Turbo kits. And Fly Me Auto, by the way, I should mention, is one of our biggest dealers. Yeah, they kick ass, and if you know yeah. Keith, you know Bill. They know, you know their shit. They know their shit. <laughs> they are. They are. They seriously kick ass. They focus on the street guy. That's their business, and they own that business. They're like they're the best in the world at what they do, um, but they've never. They're not race guys, and so they never built a race ready kit. You could take their kit and modify the crap out of it and turn it into a race kit. But by the time you're done with that. You, it was very little left of the kit. Basically, Start it was the, from scratch. Well, it was the turbo. It, even yeah. the manifold, even they would tell you, it was like, well, it's not really a race Yeah, those manifold. Garrett 2554s and 2860s. Man, but Garrett. But they <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how much better Borg Warner EFR series turbos but really the point are. But the point is that, that the off-the-shelf turbo kit didn't exist. Yeah. Okay? So, um, so we shelved it. Until uh, Andrew, he had one of those kits, and he a couple of years ago he said, "Screw it, I'm going to do a race ready turbo kit. It's going to be expensive. It's going to cost twice what the FM kit does because it has to, right? And it's not going to be aimed at the street guy. The street guy can run it. I'm perfectly happy. In fact, I hope that because he wants to buy a house, right? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the street guy wants to bolt on a 6758 and make 475 foot-pounds well, of It's kind of like your your guys Zeta shocks, you know, like. Yeah, you know, really developed for the track, but, but the they street guy can really run them too. They yeah. ride exceptionally, yeah. and, and we have a large number of people who buy the soft sprung stock mount rubber bush because they ride better than everything else. Yeah. So yeah. why not? They're it's a, yeah, it's, you, you have some additional performance Overkill. envelope there that you're not using. So that was the same idea with with the with the TSC kit. So anyway, that became available. He started working on it about two years ago. So then we started kind of kicking around the ideas like maybe we should bring three, four. Well, he started making. He, he had the first little prototype parts and drawings about two years ago. But yeah, it was really honestly when he had his uh, his time attack Arthesius, and this is yeah. five years ago. Um, that was really fast, and you know he was constantly wrenching on the thing, blowing it up, making Arthesius it. Arthesius is why I pulled the carpet out of my NA. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew Kidd's doing it. I should do it too. Yeah, for, for, I mean, for, he's for, faster for, than me. I got to get my for interior. a very brief period. That was for a very very brief period. It was probably the fastest turbo we got on the planet for a very brief, brief, yeah. brief, brief period. But he's operating on a small budget, and then he started his business and started selling parts. And, he, and somewhere along the line, he said, "Okay, I'm going to do a turbo kit, a race turbo kit. I'm going to do it right." And he started kind of talking about it, and he started doing it. And that's when I was like, you know, I told him, I said, if you do this. Uh, just saying, we could do like uh, this. We could finally do S one, yeah. and this is like three years ago, and it just kind of set, set, and then he started showing prototype parts, and then it came this year. The timing worked out where we could have the first round or second round of production parts in time for people to actually put the cars together for the twenty seventeen season. So about five months ago, typical after a race, we're all sitting around at a bar getting drunk, 
And I mean, Andrew's there racing an S2 car, naturally aspirated, and says, hey, and, by the way, I've and, got samples ready to go. Yeah, and, <laughs> and somebody brought up, I don't know who it was, whether it was either him or William, said, we should do S1. And we all kind of like, without even hesitating, we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he so. was, uh, he, I interviewed him back in April, I think, yeah. um, when I was in, in California before we moved out here. Because that was short time. That what was that? It was four minutes. <laughs> is that the? That was four minutes. Yes. Nice. That was yes. pretty good. Four minutes. If, if, if he, he was on the show, podcast is the most listened to by purely Miata population. Andrew's podcast must be top five. He got some pretty good listens. Yeah, I mean, Modi's got some Modi, some good yeah. listens. Okay, I'm Keith, gonna... Keith Tanner from the from Miata Miataverse. Got some. Yeah, he's a represent here. Yeah, there's a, a very strong Miata following. Yeah. Or even if people don't own Miatas, I think they like hearing well, about them. And this them. is this is the, this is the, the reality of it. If you do, if, if you're in the club racing level of motorsports where you you know can't afford to do pro racing, sooner or later you cross paths with some Miata thing. You do okay. I I race a BMW. But or I got I beat by a Miata. Or yeah, I got or I got passed by a Miata. Or I want to go do a chump car thing. And what yeah. are they driving? They're driving a Miata. Yeah. Or I'm gonna do a WRL thing yeah. with a couple of buddies of mine. What are they driving? Oh, oh it's Miata. Miata. Or, or they're go probably at least in a car that's four by one hundred. You got your E30s, <laughs> yeah. you got all your Hondas, you got your Miatas, four by one hundred six ULs. But you know, the the most uh, raced production car in North America is the Miata. So there's so yeah. If you're in club racing somewhere, it, it ends up crossing your path somewhere. Even if it's you're not a Miata guy, if you're a, a, a whatever. BMW guy, non four guy, Mustang guy. Probably sharing later. sharing the track with the Miata at some point. Yeah. yeah so so there, there's a reason. It's it's not just that that Austin's background is a little bit of that. Is that there's it's it's part of club racing in North America. Is is it's it's, it's a big part of it. It's one of the integral ingredients along with a, a few other platforms. Yep. But um, anyway, so so anyway, getting back to the. The turbo thing. So, uh, yeah, it became possible. The bottom line is it, the, it, the things lined up. We wanted to do it. And um, the S2 growth had been growing, and it's kind of the growth is slowed. It's still growing, but it's, it's slowed. To be like now is the time. We decided about this two, two or three years ago was to, when we started uh, Super Miata, let's do the easy class first. Let's lower the barrier entry. Let's make it simple. We'll do a normally aspirated class. It'll bring people in with they can their they can convert their spec Miatas. They can convert their um, PT cars. They convert their their PT cars. Um, and so now it's time. Okay, now that we've this class is starting to kind of swell and and the growth has started slowing. Now it's time to to release the hounds. Let's do the S one car. Plus we have now we have the parts. Now I can send Joe. I've never heard of this guy. And he says, I want to build an S1 car. I say, okay, call this guy at TrackSpeed Engineering. He'll sell you the turbo kit. The rest of the formula is published on our Facebook page. You can, any halfway competent race shop can bolt one of these together. There's, there's, we try so, to eliminate the proprietary knowledge. We don't want to have a thing where like, well, in order to build a competitive car, you need to know the secret handshake. And yeah, that, right. just to me, that's SCCA. Yeah. And we don't want to have that. We don't want to hmm. have a secret handshake thing. We want to be like, you know what? We'll hand you the formula. When you show up at the track and you say, my car doesn't work, I'll say, show me your priorometer readings. Show me your data. Um, let me give you a ride in my, we have, a, we built taxi. Tell, yes. tell them about taxi. Yeah. So um, uh, last year, in 20, middle of 2015, we decided to build a ride-along car, uh, which we appropriately named taxi and uh, liveried it appropriately with checkered flags and being yellow. Yellow. <laughs> uh, but the idea is that uh, with a passenger and a driver with the same drivetrain, 140 horsepower and everything, basically be 2,300 pounds, just like the minimum weight in Super Miata and 140 horsepower, 
with a fastener in it, um, we would take one of the top drivers, put them in the car, and then take a person who wants to figure out how we would drive the car in the car live so that we would push about, you know, nine, eight tenths, you know, because, I'll, you know, well, actually, we, you know, we try to push it to about the limit. Make it, of, make it exciting. Yeah, it's still exciting. Off, it's still, margin, still get the gist of it. Still leave a margin of safety. Without chucking off track and making it dangerous. Yeah. But the idea is that, you know, drive on eight, nine tenths, kind of give them pretty much the idea of what to expect from a top-level driver in a top-spec car. It's and, just, a, just what the car feels like at speed. You get yeah. a lot of people who are either not familiar with the track and they don't know the line. You know, a lot of times if you've gone to a track and you like you figure most of it out there's one turn, you don't know you're doing it wrong until you see so. somebody, a local guy come through fast. You're like, oh, especially on that side of the track. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's it's that. It's just to show people, you know, yeah. the line on a track and also just show them, you know, yourself, if you're most people are coming to our uh, to our to our, our series. So a lot of times they're they're actually advanced level drivers. They're actually pretty quick on another track. But they are new to a Miata. Like we have uh, one guy, he's a former uh, Bill uh, Bill Brinkop. He's a super fast driver, outstanding racecraft. He's a ST2 national champion. Like I think like two times in a row. And in TT, huh. he he's a badass. He's like if you're a Corvette driver, he's he's a badass. And he came to the Miatas. Of course, he it's Miata handles like a Viet. Vet with just with no power, right? So he adapted really, really quickly. You don't quickly. have to worry about the throttle as much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you just turn in, planet. But he actually figured. Switch. But he's such a good vet driver that he figured out the Miatas really quickly. Um, but he didn't know some of the tracks, and so first time he went to Chuck Walla, you know, the guy that sharp, his learning curve is like straight up. So we showed up at Chuck Walla, and he'd never been there before. And you know, in in qualifying, he was way off the pace. He was like, I don't know, some, some ridiculous like four seconds off the pace, and we're all like scratch our hands, like. Yeah, why is Bill so slow? Has he got like old tires or what's, what's, what's the deal, you know? And he says, like, I'm just not figuring out. You guys are kicking my ass on this track. So I said, well, let me, let me give, let's give you a ride in taxi. We literally went out and did like two laps. And he was like, oh, oh, I get it. Okay. Oh, you're supposed to, oh. He came back and immediately he dropped like three seconds. Then he was like a second off of us. He ended up qualifying like fourth for that race out of like 14 cars. Wow. So the purpose of the car, it's not just the noobs. But it's everybody, even people who are some really seriously fast, talented drivers show up with a lot of experience. They just don't know the track. Yeah. And you know how yourself, you show up to the track. Well, it just takes you, well, it takes you a while to learn track. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is the, the noob drivers are still learning how to drive a car fast. And they just need to know what it feels like. Oh, I didn't know I could go into turn nine that fast. Like, yeah, you can go in there with just a lift. You don't need to brake. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they were like breaking and downshifting. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Just go keep it in fourth. Wait, even then, like when you, you, you could have two people that are running the exact same lap times and you can put them in the car with each other and they're both going to learn something. Yep. Yes, like, exactly. It's, it's very, yes. very small chance that they're doing everything the exact same. This so, is something we learned... This is something we learned. <laughs> Sunny is waving each other. <laughs> so, this is something I learned. Oh, I got a better story for this. Back when we were doing, when William and I, before we started road racing, we used to do a lot of time attack together. And we would, was, uh, when the S2K Challenge was, was happening here in, in Silk California, it's still still going. It's a time, time trial series just for S2000s. And we would, in practice, we would share data and we would pour over that data and he's much better at reading data than I am. And we would look over and exactly what you said. We'd be doing the same lap time, but there'd be segments where I'd be like three tenths faster. Yeah. And segments where he was three tenths faster, you were doing the same lap. I was like, wait a minute, this, this obvious math is like, if we did both those, we would be mo the most, the mostest, bestest ever. The mostest, yeah. bestest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, so and AIM has that theoretical function. 
So we would sit there and dissect and, and combine those two elements and inevitably both of us would go faster at life. Sometimes, sometimes a lot, a lot faster by combining those two bits of data. It's like, okay, I'm staying in fourth here and he's taken a single apex line where I'm done with double apex time. These two opposite sides of the track combine those two features and suddenly we both go like seven tenths faster. It's like it was, was, so it was, again, that, that was something I never really computed until I saw the data and it didn't just happen once, it happened over and over. And what Sonny and Dan were talking about was that Mid-Ohio and Buttonwillow did the same thing. They both go out specifically. Same car, same day, same yeah. tires. I mean, there could be someone that might even be running a couple of tenths slower than you. And you compare yes. lap times and they're faster in a certain sector yep. than you are. Yep. That's so. exactly Sonny and I's experience. So in what, August, you flew to Mid-Ohio. Yes. And as a California resident, mind you. As a California yeah. resident, you drove my car in never, I, never seen the car before never been to Mid-Ohio other than maybe and that was a NASA regional event right NASA regional event I would call the car 60% prepped for the class I got like 30% but yeah <laughs> but it was it was the 949 formula so yeah. it was it was the same alignment settings the same coilover literally the same coilover that Sonny would have on a PT car so he knew what to expect but he'd never driven the car he'd never driven the track he showed up. We compared data. I told him, listen, aim for the dirt in turn 11, yada, yada, yada. And he instantly went two seconds faster. He set the club course TTE record in my car on maybe his 14th lap ever. period yeah. of the track ever. And, and like six of them was because I got stuck behind a, a, like a, 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 you know, a Mustang because he was blocking me like yeah. that. Mustang <laughs> blocking you in mid up Never had that happen. <laughs> yeah. So and then we flipped the script. You know, a month later, I've since moved to California, shipped my car, put a new motor in it, a couple other, you know, 949, Super Miata proprietary modifications, and Gen 2 shocks, you know, Super Miata tune diff. Secret handshake. Secret handshake. <laughs> you know, secret password. We're at Button Willow for the NASA Nationals. Well, a, a week beforehand, anyways. We're at a test day, a speed adventures test day. And I'm driving around Button Willow. I don't really know where the F I'm going. Right. Turn one is a right hander. If what? you don't know Button Willow, but you know Mid O, it's a little bit like it because it's bumpy and narrow and, and a lot of pavement surface changes. So it's a very technical track to drive on. Yeah. And so I go through, there's a, a hairpin called Star Mazda, and I'm on the, it's like a small straightaway between Star Mazda and Phil's Hill, and just instinctively I'm hot in the car, and I, I reach my left hand out, and I grab some cool air and kind of make a duct shape with my hand, and I'm approaching Phil's Hill, <laughs> Is yada, that like a quack duck or like a quack duck? duck. <laughs> Cold air. And I'm running, you know, whatever lap time, and then at the end of the day, Sonny goes out for a reconnaissance lap. He's a, he's a local. He knows the track extremely well. He knows Miatas. He knows the setup. He goes out and only runs two-tenths of a second faster. But we have data where in certain parts of the track, he's a second ahead of me. And he's so much more accustomed and brave, and his balls are bigger than mine, <laughs> <laughs> over Phil's Hill that... The, the graph on the AIM data is literally him. You know, he's four tenths behind me through Star Mazda approaching Phil's Hill. And then the, the, the data graph is just a straight line up, you know, eight tenths ahead of me. He gains like 1.1 seconds of lap time. So the difference there is it's not his car. 
and his job there is a crew chief and, and, put, and not to destroy your and car. to put data in the car. <laughs> so the one place you can destroy it is going to the S's real fast. So he's real conservative in braking, loses a bunch of time, but he knows Phil Hill, which is a blind, Boom. fast, eighty mile an hour fourth gear turn like the back of his hand. Big so balls. he's so he's in well, he's in cruise mode through there because he's done it thousand literally, like probably Thousands several hundreds. Of times. Of, well, we've done enduros there. We run many many enduros. We run the at night where you can't see. So. You literally, it's the muscle memory is just it's there. He knows memory, yeah. he knows how to huck it in there, sliding over that blind crest at eighty miles an hour, over and over, over again, while while you're tired and and it's one hundred and ten degrees around. And well, I'll ask. Well, William Chen has asked me, what do I want for dinner? Yeah. Like, <laughs> over the radio. Yeah, that was our, that was our favorite thing in the Duro team was to wait till somebody was like in the middle of Riverside sliding. You're like, <laughs> yeah, what so, kind of beer you like? <laughs> so that was the the second time that Sonny and I have ever driven together in. We're in the same car, same track, same day, and we're exhibiting the same behaviors. We're, re- we're reaching out for cold air at the same point on the same track. Oh, we're not, we, we, we that literally <laughs> never discussed this beforehand. We only discover this after watching video after the fact. <laughs> side by side. Side by side video. We do looking exactly at data. the same thing. The gear shift's exactly the same, the hand going out the window to cool ourselves. Same time. Exactly the same, same, same spot time. on the track. But that, shows a, but that shows a certain amount of uh, just overall level of, of experience and, and aptitude that that's what the that's the natural thing for the the driver to want to do but they but like i said the interesting thing there was the was the the data overlaps the the the, the plus minuses on the same yeah. speed lap and you'd mentioned something austin a minute ago about uh, uh learning something from even a slower driver it was interesting when talking about this when we were doing the s2k challenge and william and i there were times one one time it really stands out in my mind in particular, but there were several times when I'd be falling behind somebody and I'd be on one of my fast laps, you know, leading up to the, the final final hot lap for the for the time trial. And and back then, sometimes we used to do the time attack style where you, where you had to do it in one session and you had two laps and you had to go out with the Australian pursuit style. So you basically had two laps to do it. It was not like you run two you run an entire weekend with your best lap. Who cares? But no, you got to do it between. 205 and 210, you got to do that lap, you know what I mean? Uh, th- that, that, that time of day or whatever. Anyway, so you're falling around in practice laps, and I would fall around behind somebody who was all over the place. And I'm looking for, and I'm gaining on them rapidly. And as I'm gaining on them rapidly, I'm thinking, where am I going to pass this guy? And I get to one part of the track, and the guy actually holds his own, doesn't, or he pulls away from me. And one little part of the track is like, that guy's like four seconds a lap slower, but he gapped from here. What did he do? Of course, I have videotaping everything. So like, we come back, and I'm like, Win, win, win. Look, look what happened. You know, and it's like, what, ha- what happened here? It's like, and we, we tried to dissect it. And this happened a couple times. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, a noob driver, it's one of those things like if you don't know that it's impossible, you try it. You try it, yeah. And, they, and I would have thought, well, look, that's not possible. That line doesn't make any sense because it it's a totally, you lose all your exit speed, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, we figured out, it's like, well, he just ran a shorter distance. He did that. And his sector time is like, it's, like, it's massive. It's like three tenths lower in sector time purely by shorter distance and it doesn't affect the other two sectors there's no you know sometimes there's an overlap you got to look at your sector like well you entered another sector going four miles an hour slower so that sector time screwed but when it when it doesn't when you when you set your sectors in the aim data you got to know how to set your sectors that's a data guys know that people who don't do data don't know what i'm talking about but anyway it, ha- it has to do with how you observe your data and knowing that one sector can affect another but anyway when you take that out and it's all sector equal we would see that, and I'd go, wait a minute, that's, uh, we would see that. So um, anyway, 
uh, we would see that we would see the benefit of the of of one one little change from a noob driver. So that makes you humble really quick. Yeah. That right away you go like, no matter how good I get, even if everybody at this track says, "Oh, that guy there is the fastest driver." The, the reason he's the fastest driver is because he never stops learning, and he knows he can at any given day he can still get his ass kicked. And every the, almost half the people there have something to teach him because if you were to look at everybody, everybody else's data, he'd pick it apart and look like, oh, well, hey, that guy's actually breaking ten feet deeper. I didn't know I could do that, and let me try that. And if you can, so that's why we share data. So anyway, going back to Max's Cup, all this data, all these years and years of doing all this HPDE and sharing data and learning that we can learn from everybody, that's why we insist. On if a new driver shows up, they don't have a name. We wow. have we have our own names. We have two or three of them. We bring the track, and they say, "Okay, go out for a couple laps. I want to see your data." You know, they don't have. And they go, oh, "I don't have a data." Well, okay, here, we'll Sonny will grab one of the ones off the magnet on on, on the toolbox, snap it <laughs> off, stick it on the car, go yep. out, put some data on it, throw your throw your, and, bring, and and after after first practice, bring it in, and we go over it with them. And inevitably, like, yeah, you're doing awesome here. Wow, wow you're actually beating me here. But here, this is one term where you and so we. Really, really focus on racecraft and and what you guys were talking about earlier the, with the inverted grids. Um, that's why we do the inverted grids. So in regular club racing, let's just be blunt. If you suck, you're always at the back. You don't learn anything. It's an HPD every single race, and people get burned out on that. Oh, like I'm racing. It's like who are you racing yeah. against? Well, I got eighth and I was two laps down, but you know I was there. I was I there. I showed up. <laughs> I spent a lot of money. It's like no, you know. I what? got these pictures on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> I know? paid thirty five dollars for six digital downloads. <laughs> I'm a, for, I'm a, for a picture driver. of myself. Picture nobody. of myself by myself with nobody on the same straightaway. <laughs> so it's like no, we want to throw. I'm a throw people into the deep end. I would much rather people do really well when it's the survival instinct. You know, if you. People will punch that much harder when they're choking. You know what I mean? And um, you throw people, uh, the, the new drivers, their first weekend, inverted grid, they finish last in the first race. So the second race, they're on pole. And there's 18 cars stacked up behind them. And they know those last six guys way at the back are going to catch them in about two laps. And they're all national championships. Drivers, they're all really fast drivers. They have no problem passing you to you know a foot or two off your bumper at 100 miles an hour while they're sliding. Have no problem doing that at all, and they're so they're intimidated. It's like good, you should be intimidated. That's racing. You want to learn how to race? If you want to learn how to HPDE, go race in a class where there's no competition. Get your butt kicked all the time and just spend your money. You want to learn how to race? You come to Max's Cup. We will throw you into the deep end. You'll start on pole. You'll, and you'll start. get passed by 19 cars <laughs> by, or, by or, lap or, three. Or if you if you if you take our advice, you'll block for three laps. We will yeah. tell you block obviously, legally. Obviously, yeah. one yeah. move. You get one move. You get one you move. Leave but car with. You can block and make it hard for us. Yep. I will not. If anything, I will be really mad. Ironically. If I am not mad at you for blocking, it's good for them the and it's good for you. That's literally the case. If we we come by, and and I know this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but if we have somebody new shows up for the first weekend or they've been doing it for a couple of races and we they're on they're on pole because they're inverted grid, we come flying by, and I see them actually pull out of my way. I get pissed off. Wrong. Yes. Wrong. Wrong. And all of us immediately after we all get out of there, the first thing we're thinking of, we got to go talk to so-and-so. Like, they're not getting it. It's like, you're not here 
to be polite. You're to here to race. Yeah, you're here to you, walk. You can, you're, you're welcome to par- participate, but Max's Cup is not about participation medals. I don't. I'm not one of those. Hey, we're all winners. No, 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 no. You no guys millennials allowed. <laughs> yeah, you got the participation trophies. No yeah. participation trophies. We want you. If you're doing it right, you're pissing off all the faster drivers as they come through because you're making legal blocks. Like you have the widest car ever, and you did it completely predictably, safely, and I could not get around you, even though I'm three seconds a lap faster. I want to teach people how to do that, and what that does is it teaches them situational awareness. Yep, that is a safe race driver that's the guy who's never a guy or gal who's never going to do that dumb move where they chop down in front of you because like oh i didn't see you it's like no 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 it's <laughs> never an excuse in max's cup that and it, it's all about teaching teaching people that so, so the, um, the 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 focus has always been on racecraft more than the cars and uh, as i alluded to earlier when people will call us contact us about um uh wanting to wanting to enter the series and their first questions are about car prep and they talk about esoteric modifications. I always sense the direction they're going. They're, they're, they're tuners, they're mechanics, and they're excited about you know, trying to out-engineer everybody. And we say, hey, you know, that's not what the series is about. It's about racecraft. But don't be intimidated by that. We're actually going to teach you. When you come to the race, um, all our leaders, our more experienced drivers, um, guys who have actually not just you know, good HPD guys, guys who actually raced for quite a bit and won some races, we're going to encourage you to bring your video, to bring your, bring your data. If you don't have data, we'll throw an aim in your car. We'll bring you up to the RV after the race, and we're going to coach you. And um, if you, on the opening laps, you know, if you block us well, we're going uh, we're, we're to be a little frustrated personally, but I, that's what I want to see. I want to teach you how to hold those positions because what's going to happen is you're going to actually finish higher by holding those positions, and the next race you won't be at the back, you'll be in the middle. And then if you follow those drivers who are pretty close to you in ability, you're like, oh, look, he's single apex in there where I'm doubling, I can go a little faster, then you learn, and you, and you progress, and that's what we're trying to push, everybody progresses, and, and we're always happy, one of the things we always get excited about is when we see our qualifying grids, and you know we're not 60 field, 60 car fields, we're small, our big fields are 24, 28 cars, but a lot of times they're you know, certain times of the year we might only have like 16 cars, but those 16 cars are covered by like only a second or two on a two-minute and 20-second course. We're pretty it's proud pretty, of that, yeah. Because we have people who are super fast. Again, I keep using reusing the phrase, and I, but the guys who really know how to drive the cars and really know how to set them up, and then people who have been just left advanced HPD and are just entering wheel to wheel and don't have anywhere near the level of experience and yet they're qualifying within second second and a half of us and to me that's a source of pride it's like i i taught that person me and sunny and william and all the other more experienced drivers in the series and taught these people how to do it so what we do with max's cup is 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 really focused on racecraft i keep saying that over and over it's always about focusing on the racecraft it's not about the car it's about the driver it's about the racecraft so i think it's a very attractive formula too i mean uh, do you guys have any plans to expand for 2017? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, so we've been uh-huh. talking to, so we've been talking to um, the folks at WRL. Now, those of you in the Midwest who have raced with WRL, um, you know that they run kind of a no frills formula, which is a lot like Max's Cup. So for us, the the, the philosophy was similar. So. Um, gosh, probably six, eight months ago, I talked to David Smith, um, who's sort of the right-hand man to that organization. 
And uh, as I recall, he was buying brake pads or something for a Miata. He was calling about something else, and we ended up talking about Super Miata and what it was. And he says, oh, "That's like awesome. That like that's kind of like what we do, but it's you know, we do. Of course, they do endurance racing. We do sprint racing. So we talked about a possible, you know, mesh where we might be able to uh, expand um, our program. And then uh, just recently, um, I reached out to uh, 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 Joey Todd." Um, who kind of runs the show uh, in WRL. And uh, essentially, we're in the planning phases right now of trying to uh, license the Super Miata rule set and our run format with WRL so they can uh, expand their sprint racing uh, program. And they do all endurance racing now, and they're trying to basically add a sprint racing program to that. Because, of course, the racers are asking for that. All their are their endurance guys are asking, hey, can you do a sprint racing series too? So it fits in. So what they're looking for is something. And we have three or four customers a week asking us when Super Miata Maxis Cup is going to migrate over east, and over eastward, again. Yeah, every time we, east coast. Yeah, yeah, every time we publish a new race results or something like that, I say, when are you guys coming to New Jersey or Florida or Pennsylvania or whatever it is? So, um, so that's in the works. So those of you um, Midwest and you know, and I say. Midwest right now, uh, WRL is Texas to Pennsylvania to Colorado. So that's a pretty big triangle. That's you know I would say that's all of the Midwest and then plus a little extra. Yeah. Um, and and those of you um, in uh, Southeast Florida region um, probably know that there's a group down there, an HPD group, uh, and also runs road racing. I don't remember the name of it. It's not Track Masters. It's Track Magic or something like that. They're um, uh, also licensing the WRL Endurance Program, and they're actually starting. So WRL is basically expanding down in the southeast. So before, you know, nearly global, not nearly global, nearly national. Um, so uh, we hope. We'll see. I, I, what I suspect will happen if things work out as planned, then by probably mid-2017, there will be some initial sort of um, test events with WRL where they run a sprint racing program and they'll run their own, uh, was it GP1, 2, 3, GP 4, and 5? Yeah. yeah. GP1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and they have GPX, which is a non, like awards, non points uh, exhibition, exhibition class. class. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like EC and Chump Car. If you know Chump Car, you know exhibition class, it's kind of the same deal. Yeah. Like um, for the cars that don't fall into the, the lower classes? It's the fast cars. Yeah. And it's a neat thing, if you know, if you're familiar with WRL, you know, they run all 200 treadwear street tires. Um, they really push OEM bodywork, not a lot of uh, extensive aero. Uh, they're really inexpensive builds, but they are real race cars. And the big difference between WRL and, say, Chump Car, for example, is there's no gimmicks. There's no arbitrary rules. Yeah, I mean, there's no don't judging. You have, it's yeah. just real. There's no judging. It's not like, yeah. You have to have a comp license, I think. Yep. It's, to, it's actual yeah. real club racing. It's just no frills. There's no national championship. There's no design uh, competition. Yeah, there's no uh, there's Theme. no TV coverage or anything like that. Yeah, and and there's no judging. It's just just and honestly, that's really what Max's Cup was about. When we finished with NASA, we had spent a lot of money and gotten I won't say glory because it's club racing, but you know a lot of people we got some notoriety from it, right? In our own little tiny microverse. You know, people knew about us, and so that was kind of cool. We got some notoriety from it, but ultimately, um, it's like all we were really—the the most important part that we had fun with was just the racing. So let's do a series of racing that's just bare bones, the racing without the frills. Yes, there's no TV coverage. 
There's no national championship. There's no like eternal fame and glory. It's just the actual racing part of it. And uh, I've used this analogy in the past is that you, um, uh, when we were talking about earlier about the, you know, the supercar versus the, the cheap cars, you know, most of us, we remember from HPD, mind you, when we remember a fun HPD event we had, it wasn't that one day when my car was working bitchin' and I set that lap time. What we remember is that time I was there with my buddy and we chased each other around the track yeah. and had that like sparring. Like, oh, that was the best session of the weekend. Best session yeah. of the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the competition. And ultimately, it, again, it doesn't matter about the car. If you, yeah, if you're a rich guy and you're doing that, you have your four five eight and your your buddies. But your buddy has his four five eight too. Yeah, yeah, it's, Lambo. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's not about how cool the car was. It was the fact. That you were able to share it and that is the core of what club racing is and this is the thing that i've really more so this year than, than any of the year in the past i've really learned the strata between pro racing which is a job and club racing which is something you share it has to be something that you're sharing with your friends if you're not sharing it with your friends Sorry, I'm out of the language. It doesn't effing matter. Yeah. Because that's the only thing. And it doesn't matter what car it is. It doesn't matter what the track it is. But if you're sharing it with your, with your, with your bros, you know, then that's what, that's what makes it happen. And all the people who are listening to this who have done Chump Car are like, yeah, I remember that event, how awesome it was. And, like, if you just eliminate all the memories of all the friends and all the things you shared, it's like, well, just me driving that was pointless the fact is i was doing it with my friends that was the most the coolest thing ever yeah you know to do the chunk car event or even the limits event because it's this big social thing yeah but well, those if of people us, only competed because they thought they had a chance to win you'd have a much small, much fewer yes. people oh, competing yeah. yes and there was an event in 2012 where the first time austin and i drove together was an auto interest event at Set in the rain? Mid-Ohio, in the rain. Yeah. And I was in a Miata. Austin was in his FRS. Uh, Kevin Spanier was in his K-Swap Civic Coupe. And there was like a multitude of cars, platforms, driver experiences. And we were all running this, you know, advanced group as instructors with auto interests. And we're all running nose to tail, cat and mouse, in the rain. HPD group. But, HPD group. But sparring. But yeah, yeah sparring but session. Fun, was fun, going at it. And you remember that to this day. To this day. And this sticks out. of my driving okay, career. Okay, so yeah, this... For this, like, 15-minute span of our lives, we're like, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> so that's what needs to be recreated. That was four years ago. That is I'm what still, needs to be yeah, created in club racing. That. And if that isn't recreated, then there's, club racing has no point because it's just... It's just HPDE. And it's like, you know, we all do HPDE, but we look for something more. And it's like, so what do we create that creates that emotional environment and those memories and that passion? And this is the other thing we were talking about with, you know, the, with Lemons and, and, and Chump Car. Not to take anything, take anything away from that. We've done them both. It's a lot of fun when you did the kind of the informal gimmicky kind of quality of it. But if you lean more towards the sort of... Uh, um, the driver end of it where like well I'm a driver I really want to focus on my driving and improve my driving and my racecraft and make that really really important where can I go to do that where I really want to, I want to become a driver a badass driver in club racing they don't teach you it's simple 
the minute you get your license, Everything all instruction shops, you are on your You're own. Solo. And yeah. if you have to be talented or you or you have the money to pay a good pro coach. Or and you have to drive to be competitive and do teach yourself. everything it takes. Yeah. And sometimes if you don't, you know, if you have the talent, you might be able to teach yourself. But there's plenty of guys out there, guys and gals, that spend the money, don't learn, never get fast. Because they either don't hire the right pro coach or they don't hire a pro coach at all. Or maybe just, they just they, they haven't ever jived with the, the teaching process and they just don't learn. They get stagnant. And they get stagnant and they mm -hmm. get burnt out. And they do it for a couple of years and they sell their car. And I thought, you know, there's too many people that whether they're good or not, they want to become racers and they want to race. They want that thrill of the race, the close racing, fighting somebody for, you know, long braking duels where you're going down to the gears and shifting back and you're looking back at that car. I got him to, you know, and, and slide by side by side with it. It's a common yeah. thing in Max's Cup to be side by side with somebody for two or three turns. You can't ever get an advantage. Yeah. You're trying and like you go through one turn, you're like, I got him. Uh, no, I don't. I got to run on him. No, I don't. Yeah, and it goes way, over and over yeah. again. By the way, if you want to watch that, um, last two rounds uh, at uh, Willow Springs International Raceway, round eight of this year, and just the last round two weeks ago. Almost the entire lap side the by side. The entire lap <laughs> for two or three laps at a time. I swear <laughs> you enjoy William Chen's videos of me and William having at it yeah. for literally the entire well, races. Well, you look at you look at like the the things that are shared on Facebook, like the small like minute clips of like, yeah. hey, this is what racing is. Yeah. It's always cars that are super close, you know, yeah. and the battle's good. Yeah. You know, no one ever shows, you know, like uh, a race where someone is out front the whole time and then you know that's it that's look that's at this not close what, race what he's 30 seconds in. ahead and unchallenged you're like yeah. uh that's yeah. left boring the, the two <laughs> clips that spring to mind are brian maxey's nissan micro cup race where carnage happens at the green flag and he's like weaving through yeah. the start of 14 different cars wrecking into <laughs> each other and then there's the 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 viral video of the European MX-5, whatever, stock cup series, where two Miatas are battling. Is that where the dude closes the guy reaches out mirror. and closes his closes competitor's outside rearview mirror? So yes, good. Those two videos, spec series, you know, driver series, yeah. equal yeah. car. That's so, there's another one that I've seen, like a, it's a Lotus Elise cup car or something at, at Bathurst. Bathurst. And oh, guy passes like 17 cars. That's, yeah. that's an old video. So that's that's a good yeah, it's a really oh, old. The video quality really sucks. But that's yeah. when you're like, that guy knows what's up. Yeah. But the, 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 the thing there, it's, and it's hard for, this is another reason why we created S1. And I hate to say this, but it's, it's, it's admitting that there's a certain amount of people that will never drive an S2 and they will never drive 140 horsepower Only 140 horsepower because um, it ain't macho enough it's yeah. not sexy enough so S1 um, go back to your original question from like two or three days ago when you asked me this was yeah. <laughs> was um, what's you know what's that for, for 17 so five or six years ago yeah was so we have S2 has been our class for 14, 15, 16 same car same spec we changed the tires once we went from a 205 to 225 yeah. Pretty much unchanged spec, and that's another thing. We have some rule stability because once it's, I'm a big believer. If it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. it. Thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so S1 is the class we always dreamed about, the super fast class. Now we can do it finally because we have essentially the missing ingredient was the turbo. So we're going to do that. The other reason is those are um, those are much uh, those are much faster, sexier cars. It's got a big wing on the front. 
It's got a splitter. It's got a turbo. It makes noises. Makes so cool. Is everything else the same though? Minus the turbo and the arrow. No, we're running a, a ten inch wheel instead of the nine. Nine. So okay. Kind of. They barely fit under the nine uh, under the NB fender and the earlier generation NA. You actually have to put a little bit of flare on it, so they're just like they're just totally bulgy, badass. They, they look, yeah, look so massive. much better. It looks so, it looks so and, and, macho, and it's a bigger yeah. tire. It's a two forty five tire. So the original tire on the Miata was a one eighty five. So it went to one eighty five to a two hundred five or two forty five. Two forty five. Yeah, one eighty five to two hundred five fifty to two twenty five forty five. Now we're two forty five forty. And and so a shout out to Maxis. We worked with uh, John at Maxis. I did. <laughs> Where did the entire podcast be? Gen X or Emilio just said shout out. So, I'm old. So everyone who's listening, I'm old. I have gray hair. Okay, what do you want? So anyway, um, for working with me, uh, with us really, to develop the, the big tire, they took a risk, took a gamble. Um, we told them the 245, 4015, it's an oddball size. If you drive a big car, you're like, that's tiny. But if you drive a small car, that's huge. It's huge. And the tire never existed. So it's like for some bigger platforms, if you drive a BMW, you know, E90, E46 or s S550 Mustang or, uh, or a Corvette or something like that, you're like, well, I have plenty of tires to choose from. Like, you know what? 275, us, 285, 295. Of small car guys, we envy you because all the money for tire manufacturers is in those big tires. There is less money in the small tires. Yeah. So we don't often have a tire choice. We simply don't have a tire. Like, well, I want to build a car that weighs this much weight, has a little bit less power to weight than a Corvette. It's still really fast, but a Corvette's, let's say, six to one, six pounds per horsepower. I want to build a, a Miata that's eight or nine pounds per horsepower. So it's super fast, but there's no tire. There, yeah. The tire physically doesn't exist. For the like, longest time, it was like 225 NTO1s. Yeah, that was it. Hoosiers, in, yeah. In the early aughts, the 2000s, yeah. the 225, 45 NTO1s. So if you wanted to exist. build this car, you had to build this car, you know, had to, you had to basically tune the power down because there's really no tire. You'd be lim tire limited. You'd be limited, yeah. tire limited. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I, as a wheel manufacturer, as a little tiny niche wheel manufacturer, I pushed hard for the tire companies and finally found one that was willing to take a gamble on it and built the tire. They built the original uh, 245, 4015 RC1. Now and, the VR1. And now right? the VR1, they have a street tire, which, again, if you're a big car guy, you're like, what's the big deal? Well, if you're a small car guy, you're like, that's and a holy, game tire. Holy crap. Holy crap. That tire <laughs> yeah. is a game changer. So, yeah. again, that's, that's, that's a really big deal. So, anyway, that size, that 245, 4015 is on our S1 Miata. So, um, that's going to start 17. Um, we, uh, Sonny's building his car. He was just working on the splitter here the night before last. So we should have a couple um, cars ready for the first race of the season. And six, five. Five or six. Five or six cars. Yeah, yeah we have uh, five, five cars being built. And there's a couple that are kind of in the shadows that are talking about it. But we know for five, for sure, five are, uh, wrenches are being spun. Those cars are being built. So um, including mine. Um, and then the other thing that we've kind of had on the back burner is a third class. We have S1, which is our premier class. And for those of you wondering, if you got a Miata and you're in the West Coast and you're interested about it, um, SoCal, uh, S1, it's the same basic formula as our S2 class. It's available if you go to supermiata.com. In the rules and regulations, there's a little drop-down menu item that says S1 upgrades, and it tells you a little bit about the class. Briefly, it's the same weight. It's 2,300 pounds, but with a big wing on the back, add a splitter, add a 10-inch wheel, add a 245 tire. Big difference is the power. Um, our current goal, we're probably going to shoot for, is 220 wheel. Now, the motors and the power are capable of a lot more than that. Double. But, yeah. Well, no, if you do 60, no, uh, 320. 320 on corn. 
At sixty-two fifty-eight, uh, we'll make about three twenty yeah. corn. But, but for purpose, like open lapping days and stuff, like it'd be yeah. hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, and yeah. Then for, yeah, yeah for the race, doing time attack and all that. But the point is, we were trying to. We want to be able to do this again. Lowest common denominator. We're still not racing fancy, expensive cars. Nobody wants to go spend fifty grand on a Miata. We want to try to keep the cost down. So we're keeping the power down so that we can do it on simple engine builds. Um, we can do it on uh, simple gas. Um, keep it not exotic. OEM and, transmissions. Yeah, OEM yeah, OEM six speed. Got to do the six speed because the five speed doesn't really cope with that much power. So you got to switch over to the six speed. But there'll be two hundred twenty horsepower, um, twenty three hundred pounds, and that works out to right at. Uh, 10 pounds per horsepower, mm-hmm. which just so happens to be around what an ST3 uh, NASA car is. Hmm. So uh, an S1 car, Interesting how that works. a NASA uh, car, you, you, all you would need to do is basically put a set of Hoosiers on it um, with the same size, 245-40s. And I think um, we get, because uh, it's rear drive, we get a little bit of a ding on that. But we, you'd, you'd, end up, you'd end up having to add a tiny bit of ballast um, or turn down the boost a little bit. So you end up, you, the actual ends up being about two, 10.3 pounds per horsepower. So if you're interested in S1 SoCal, it's a really direct, and I think it'll be, honestly, it'll be a halfway decent uh, car, ST3 car if you want to do that. And then, and then in SCCA, um, unfortunately, you would have to run a small wheel. You have to run down to an 8-inch wheel, and you could run STU. STU. It would be legal for, um, I think, uh, let's see, STU, 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 turbo. Yeah, you could actually. There's kind of some loopholes yet because they, they, their turbo rules are fun, funny. You familiar with STU? Yeah, there are, there are people. Adam's actually on the ST rules committee. The guy that helps run the podcast. Okay, with me. But yep. you could run. You could run STU. So in other words, there's some crossovers. If you're spending, we wanted to make sure if you're spending that much money on the build, guys, you're going to want uh, other classes to go run in. And then time attack course is all about maximum horsepower, so you wouldn't be crank it up. Yeah, Old you wouldn't ballast, be high power map. Yeah. Have at um, it. And put slicks on it. And then the other thing we've ha- been uh, kicking around, sort of a back burner thing, is uh, S3, which is a class below that. And S3, simply put, is a feeder class. What it is, it's a 1.6 spec Miata. No, so we were talking about spec Miata earlier. For those of you not familiar with Miatas, there's basically four platforms. There's the, there's the early 1.6 engine. There's the early 1.8 engine, which is a little bit bigger engine and, and different diff. Then there's the MB1, which is a different chassis with a higher output, 1.8. And there's the MB2, which is a slightly stiffer chassis with a torquier, less horsepower, uh, 1.8. So there's kind of four kind of overlapping but similar platforms. And the early one, the NA6, is good on certain tracks, not so good on others. But the bottom line is to make those fast, you have to have an expensive motor in them. Whereas the later ones, you can run kind of a simpler, cheaper motor and be competitive regionally. So what's happened... There are zillions of 1.6 spec Miatas and they're used, dirt cheap. and they're dirt cheap. You can buy complete, running, ready-to-race logbook cars. I've seen them as low as like 4,500 bucks, but the good ones are usually around eight or nine. So eight or nine grand, you can buy a ready-to-race car. So what we did, we decided to build a class within Max's Cup just for those cars, but they're unmodified. So it's not like you bring in. Your 1.6 spec, and you change this, 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 and this, and this. We want to keep it all just the way the car is now. You do an RC1 tire, and you power cap at 110 horsepower. So the power cap is critical. We don't want people chasing power. So you take your 1.6 spec, you go to the dyno, you advance or retard the timing, the little cam angle sensor, until it makes 110 horsepower. You're done. You're ready to race. That's it. Stock ECU, stock everything. Intake, yeah. Done. We have a racing class for you. We already have a racing group. You just show up and you'll have a, you can, you start at the back of the S2 field. So you have people to race with. You can race with us. 
you qualify with us, but you get classed on your own. So the idea is to bring people in that either don't have a car so they can go buy an S3, see how they like it. All they have to do is buy a set of tires and spend an hour on the dyno and they're ready to race with us. And if they like it, great. They're like, you know what? I want to go race for points. I want to race for some of that the contingency money that's being offered in S2. And I want to you know, race for, with, with the front guys. And I want that power, too. I'm getting left on the straights because I'm down 30 horsepower, right? So then they say, okay, I'm going to go buy a 1.8 engine and do all the mods necessary. The few simple mods, but bring it up to S2 specification. Or they just stay in S3 and they race. And they, and they spend almost nothing because they've got a $8,000 car. They spent... 550 bucks on a set of tires that lasts basically almost a season. I mean, it's crazy. The the or the the, light, the S3 on a set of 205 S1s, six hours that's all day long, right. and a lot of drivers are going to get eight hours out of them. So you're talking, that's like two sets of tires is an entire race year. I mean, how I mean, those of you club racers, you're like, you're like what? <laughs> two two sets of tires for an entire year? That's a big deal. That's uh, assuming that's, you don't flat spot them. Yeah, assuming you don't destroy them. <laughs> flat spot king. Flat spot king. No way. <laughs> So that's that's eleven hundred dollar tire budget for the year plus your HPD fees and a nine thousand dollar car that you can turn because it's unmodified you can turn around and sell it as a spec Miata when you're done. So that's so S one was the turbo class S two is our current class we've been running successfully for a few years and then S three we're building as a feeder so that's what we're doing for twenty seventeen Maxis Cup is still going to be on board with us as a title sponsor we're talking to WRL and they're going to take S two. And if they like the S3 and S1 programs, they may add those. We don't know. Um, I think the smart thing for them would be just to stick with the S2. S2 for now. Keep it simple. Um, and then there's addition. A, there's a lot of guys in the Midwest that are ready for it. Uh, just today, Devin Giles said, hey, I want to race S2. And then there's the whole Kentucky crew waiting in the wings. Aaron, for Jeff. Yeah, Robert, everybody. Chris, yeah, Tony, yeah, on and on and on. <laughs> so those of you outside of the Miataverse, there's several, uh, as, as with any, if you're a BMW guy, a Porsche guy, or vet guy, you know there's certain pockets around the country that have like a lot of racers, and there are other pockets where there's like nobody with that kind of car. Well, with the Miata, there's, like any other, there's certain pockets, and there's there's a there's a pocket of that that will be really eager yeah. to... But those pockets don't happen by chance, though. You know, yeah, because you know, it really is. Yeah, it really is. If, yeah. if two of your friends have the car, and you don't, if two of your friends have the Corvettes, and you're like, "Hey, I got a C5Z. It was cheap. I bought it for twenty-two grand. It cost me twelve grand to convert it over to make it a race car. I'm racing TT, whatever it is, you know, you. TTU in it, you know, and 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 they're like, I'll do that. I, I, w- I was racing my E90 street car, but that's like that thing's way too expensive. I'll just buy one of these cheap Corvettes. So you do it because your friends are into it, and ultimately, that's how most of these groups start. But it that's really what comes makes down it fun. But yep. really, it, it comes down to how much money you have to spend on it. It's like if you can have just as much fun, and this is the key ingredient, Brian Woods thing. Yes, but which is more fun? It's like it's not more fun spending more money the fun that i have driving the really fast super fast cars it's only a little bit more fun than driving the cheap cars but it's like five times more expensive so i ask myself is it five times more fun i'm like hell no (laughs) it's like i just want to do race car shit with my friends (laughs) yeah basically i just want to do race car stuff with my friends and so uh, really that's the 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 core of what what we do and what we tried to build and again why we feel like we 
um, philosophically aligned with WRL so well. Those of you who are in WRL, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it is no frills, straight up, no BS. And this is the thing, it's a phrase I use all the time. In at least in Max, Max's Cup and me as a racer, I take my racing very seriously. I race hard, I make sure my car's ready, I, I show up, I take my pyrometer readings, I, I get my car dialed for the track, I look at my data, I take my racing very seriously. But I do not take myself seriously. There's a big difference. If I screw up, or like I'm not going to blame it on the car. Like, dude, I choked. I totally blew that. I blew that qualifying. I blew that race. I bumped somebody. Dude, I'm totally sorry. I I, I don't take myself seriously, but I take the racing very seriously. And that I think is at the core of. You know, when you look at WRL's um, the website, you read through it. It's clear that there's a, there's the mission statement is have fun with your friends, be safe, and let's just have some simple low cost parity. It's not a hard. It's not a hard thing to do, and and they're actually not a non for profit. They're actually making a little bit of money doing it. I don't, I don't think Joey's getting rich doing it, but it's an actual business. They're actually able to build a model that works that gets people like I can't wait to do the next WRL race, you know, and like I can afford to do this. And my buddies are with me. We're putting together an endurance team. It's I, it's it's a kick ass formula. So I'm really excited to be even talking to those guys about yeah. a possible partnership because I think they can take, they understand what we do with, with Super Miata and Maxis Cup. They understand the ethos and they're going to be the right people to translate that into th that local racing community. And I think, I think it's going to do well with the people who have, you know, either spec Miatas or have PT cars or aren't even in racing or they have something else. They're racing some other car right now that's too expensive. I mean, the classic example is the HPDE guy that's got a modern performance car, Corvette, or and it eats through Dimsy brakes, Euro, yeah. Yeah, eats yeah, through yeah. tires, eats through brakes. It's really expensive. Um, it goes into limp mode unless you're running on race gas, blah, 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 blah. And he's afraid to wreck it because he's still making payments on it. And it's like, you know, that's no way to enjoy the track. You're always so wound up and that you're going to hurt the car. And while, while it runs for a couple laps, of course, you know, before it overheats, it's, it's awesome. But, you know, why not? Stop making that car into a shitty street car by putting race seats and six points and and thousand pound springs in it. Turn that back into a nice street car. Go buy a cheap race car. Yep. To beat the ever loving crap out of. And if you wad it up and leave it at the track, you go like, oh, no well, big deal. Oh well. Yeah. The wife goes, "What'd you spend on that car?" I spent fifteen grand. Like, well, that was an expensive learning thing. But if you wad up the E ninety. That's a whole different. Like I've only made fifteen grand worth of payments. <laughs> right. I, still I still owe, owe that. I still owe fifty five grand on yeah. that thing. It's yeah. like you know, it just doesn't make sense. And it's like, yeah, hey, if you got the disposable income for it, if you're the kind of guy who pays cash, daddy bought you your your E ninety, you know, um, and you're still in college, yeah, fine, go wad it up. That's your your yeah. deal. But if and you're, then go buy a Trofeo Cup car. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you think about it. Ferrari Challenge. Yeah, right. Ferrari, well, Ferrari Challenge is for old guys. That's all. That's for Gray Foxes. That's not for, for college kids. So, but, um, no, it sounds like you guys have a, a lot of interesting stuff in the works for next year. We're excited. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited just to, to watch it grow. I'm glad that I'm, I'm here in SoCal now. So maybe be able to come out to some events and maybe even participate. So... Um, you know, exciting, S3. exciting times. I see an S3 car in your future. Yeah. No, I was just going to borrow Dan's car. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't buy a truck and trailer, then my car is for rent. Yeah, there we go. So, so yeah, right? <laughs> but if I'm driving taxi or deviate and Vegas is there, then uh, there's no room for a button. That's right. But where can people find out more about you guys and about what you got going on? 949racing.com. Um, 
Supermiata.com. For the rule set and what the formula is. Yeah, so 949Machining.com is our, that's our e-commerce site. That's where all the parts are. There's some inform, there's some setup information there. Um, our website for the race series is Supermiata.com. And that has, that's basically like a landing site. You start there and then you move out. Um, where most of the day-to-day sort of um, current discussion is taking place is actually on a Facebook group. And I say group, not a, not a page. We created a group just because it's easier to have uh, conversations with people and kind of filter out the spam. Very high signal-to-noise ratio, so there's not a lot of random discussion that's not race-related. So that is, oh gosh, if I can remember it, I think it's uh, Super Miata Race Series, uh, Facebook groups. But simply, if you go to Facebook and just type in Super Miata Race, um, it'll, it'll pop up. Um, also, if you go to supermiata.com, there's a link to the Facebook group. There's a link to, we have a, what's called a How to Get Started doc. Which you're like, what, what, I'm totally. This podcast is way too long. What's the? Give me the. <laughs> give me the. Give me the TLDR. What's the short and skinny? Give me a doc that I can open up on my phone and just read about it. Go to supermiata.com. There's a link on the homepage that says uh, how to get started. It's a PDF. You can store it on your phone, and it's a really simple. I think it's a two-page document, and it goes from the very beginning, like I have no idea what the heck you're talking about, to I'm racing from start to finish, all the steps. Licensing, getting the car prep, getting car techs, how do you how you register, um, the way the weekends are run, the schedule, the whole night. It's in, and it, obviously it's a Cliff Notes version, but that's just a quick skim. If you're interested, you're in Southern California. We run the series from um, uh, all in California. Uh, what's the uh, Facebook group? Super Miata Race Series. Yeah, that's the that's the Facebook group. And then once you're in the series and you register, we actually have a separate Facebook group. It's the driver's group and that's a screened, filtered, offline group. That's ultra high signal noise ratio. That's just for the drivers discussing behind the scenes stuff. Once you're in the series, we actually get to talk about um, uh, rules changes, schedule changes, things like that, all the, all the nitty gritty. But if you're just curious about the series and want to find out more about what it's about and if you're in the Midwest and you're thinking, yo, this is coming to... WRL. This is coming to Maybe. WRL. Send WRL, and you want to learn more about it, read about it. Send WRL info at uh, racewrl.com, I believe it is. Um, send them a, an email and let them know that you're interested. You're like, I just heard this thing about this thing, about these cars. Don't spend Super any money. Miata, Race a lot. Yeah. Drinking beer. <laughs> so Barbecue. Barbecue. Oh, yeah. So we'll do a quickie. <laughs> a quickie on the barbecue. Yep. So separate. So they're weekend events, except for a w, uh, Big Willow, which is always the one day. Um, all the events are weekend events. Sat- so Saturday, we typically try to run our Saturday race schedule. So the race, uh, the actual back-to-back race is at the end of the day. Right after that, we host a barbecue. The barbecue is the 949 Racing pays for that. And we bring out a chef, Andrew Wong. And he actually caters the whole thing. It ain't Costco food. It's like real live. And it's like yeah. themed food. I mean, the food is awesome if you've ever been to one of those you know what i'm talking about it's amazing food it's all um basically some cultural themed food from some some part of the some part of the world um we provide uh, craft beer for everybody all the drivers and all the crew uh, are, are free that usually starts right after we come off a track and impound so that's five six seven o'clock depending on you know the time of year and usually runs to about 11 or 12 o'clock at night we basically sit around the fire pit and we whip out the laptops and we're watching the uh, bench racing and, and sharing uh, sharing race videos until until the wee hours. That social part of that 
we joke that that's we're all basically um, <laughs> we're all basically uh, uh, there there for the beer, but we have a racing problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or a hint: if you want to win, give me lots of beer and some liquor. So, <laughs> so, <it's> over. <laughs> so, so but it's a big part of oh, the reason I mentioned that is the, the the social aspect of it. It's not okay. Race is over. I've already disappeared, and you're there by yourself. It just starts when the race is over. Everybody congregates under the at the, at the main event, so everybody who's involved in the racing series comes together, and we all spend basically hours downloading the entire thing, and then we do it again the next day. So the whole experience it's it's a ton of fun, and really, again, it goes back to like, hey, that one race weekend where I went and raced in Wam, but then I went home and didn't have anybody to talk to, and I was thinking about it by myself on the drive home. Okay, that was cool and all that, but that other race weekend where I got my butt kicked, but I was there with my week with my friends the whole weekend, and I was helping them work on their cars, and we hung out together. That's the one I remember. So yeah. that was a big part of building that into the schedule. It's like, you know what? Hang out with your friends. So why not make that an integral part? That's part of the schedule of a Super Miata weekend, Max's Cup weekend, is the, the entire barbecue. And it's basically the entire all of Saturday night. So, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's something that Adam and I have kind of preached the whole time we've been doing the show. And even before that is that, you know, the, the social aspect is really what drives a lot of the reasons that people go to the track. Yep. So I know it's the way it was for me. Like, and it's heck, just I don't even HPD. have a car anymore. I just go to the track and hang out. HPD, it's the same reason. It's funny, you know, back we used to run a series here locally called Miata Challenge. It was a time trial series before we did the, the road racing thing. Um, and the time trial series, it was the same thing. It was built all around the social aspect of it. Having yeah. a barbecue afterwards, um, coaching all, all of the noob drivers, uh, sharing setup tips, and... Um, it was the same thing. You go do HPDs, you do it with your friend, and, and yes, I want to drive. Or you make friends that are you yes. know running in that same HPD group that you're running in. We do that a lot. I mean, it's yeah. constant. Every, every weekend that we have a Max's Cup event, there's new introductions made. Everybody's connected together on Facebook and people exchanging photographs and, and numbers, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a social group. And you know we all look back, all of us, um, you look back at the times when you were in college and you had that group of friends then you all kind of split out across the country and you go like, oh man, I used to have so much fun in that. Or when I was in high school, all my good buds in high school. And then we all moved to a different place, got married and this and that. And you, and you remember that. And so it's like, you know, we have these tribes that we are with or people that you worked with. Um, like I worked at this really cool place, but then I moved across the country yep. or whatever. We started a family and things changed. And so you remember those tribes you're with and those friends you're with. And if you don't have that, if you're just doing HPD and you're working, but nobody at your work really cares about cars and you don't have that to share, it's like, that's the biggest part of it. And I hate to, and it's, and it's, it sounds real mushy and all that, but the reality is everybody who's listening to this, who's a car guy gets it, is, gets it. Yeah. Is going like, yeah, I know what you're, it, that's what it's about. It's if I can share this and make it a broader experience, that's what it's about. And suddenly the, building the rules and how the cars are prepped and all the tech, all that, that all kind of fades into the background. It's not even part of the discussion anymore. Yeah. Yeah. When you get together with those people, it's not really about the cars anymore. It's nope. about, Hey man, like what's going on in your life? What's, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, dude, that movie kids. made down in me under turn one. That was awesome. I know I never would have tried to pass it. You were totally in the marbles across up. Yeah. I, I had to like really work to not, not put it into your door and you, <laughs> you share racing stories and bench racing. And then you talk about the setup and you're like, yeah, dude, I just did this thing to my car. I raised the front end so I go over the bumps a little better. Oh, really? I was going to try that. And you're sharing text things and then you're talking about your family and suddenly it becomes this broader experience. And it's like, and if I'm proud of anything with Max's Cup, it's 
that I've been able to help build an environment as part of this team that's built, put this whole thing together that's made drivers into better, really made people into better drivers, really, not just participation medals, but actually learning real racecraft. And then the social experiment, the social environment that people have really gotten from it. And that's, that's what, I guess that's what I'm selling. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And yeah. when, it's, when it's all said and done is that, is that experience. And that's what we, uh, uh, that's what we yearn for. That's what we get excited about. It's not just the racing. It's the, the whole, the whole, the whole weekend. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, we're running a pretty long show. We'll probably break this one up and do <laughs> a, a two couple. Shows. But yeah. <laughs> that's two shows. But we really appreciate your guys' time. So, and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, maybe come out and maybe we can sit around uh, on a Saturday night at the track sometime during a Super Miata event and just have a bunch of people on. Please. Be a lot of fun. Sharing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully there'll be some, there's always some good racing, actually. So it's really good if you go to everybody and ask them what their race was like. Yeah. Trust me. The story's going. Until, if the story's fresh and you're there It'll well, listen, listeners of the show know that uh, we, Adam and I, enjoy sitting around drinking and talking for hours with our buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna need more microphones. You need, you know what? Yeah. It would occur, it occurred to me to do um, a bit of a podcast at a Super Miata event post race. Or we can get people. radios, and everybody can have a radio in the car. So, in like car. people, Live. one person can have a radio. We did that at runoffs this year. Wow! Adam did that at runoffs in the STL race. That would be cool. So, yeah. Didn't um, Kim is doing an instructional video? Kim Jong, she's one of the one of the drivers in the series. Kim Jong, she's so ill. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, we got okay. Well, she will hate that. <laughs> she's she's had her own particular sense of humor, and that would not fit it. But no. anyway. Um, uh, she's doing an instruction video. She has a little blog that she does, and uh, she does instruction videos. She's showing how she races, basically, and uh, for for people who are outside of the racing sphere. Anyway, um, the uh, oh, I totally lost my train of thought. I have to edit that out. What were, we, what were we just saying? Instructional videos. Instructional videos. No, before that, uh, doing a live podcast. Doing, doing a, a live podcast. She in her last event, she was doing a voiceover on her in car. You know, I was, I was thinking, like... Um, she yeah. basically put a mic in, in her helmet during yeah. the race and was doing a voiceover on that's, her on ring car video. So, that's what up. William and I have talked about with so, trying to find the right software to allow us to do that. Even post-race commentary, it's not audio even, over it's not top even, of the race It's video. not even software. It's just doing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah but being I can help you with it. You have cool, like, I wires can help I want to do that I can facilitate that. We can make that happen. Yeah. There's actually videos of me driving donkey. Uh, Shondell's NC swapped uh, NA yeah. from Laguna Seca last year at Miata's Yeah, Laguna but is it a 2.5? No care. No, it's just a 2. two. <laughs> yeah, it's super yeah, cheap. Back then it was a 2 liter, but yeah. recently now, it's a, a built 2.5. It's yeah. absolutely insane. It's nuts. It's 270 it's horsepower nuts. or something. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so many Miata swaps control lately. control arms, tubular subframes. It's freaking nuts. So we, we, we've been doing something we started doing about two, a year and a half ago, whatever. Um, I started doing uh, uh, racecraft instructional videos. So I would take my in-car video and break them down and do basically act, uh, not not voiceover, but you know, uh, text commentary on what I was doing in the race. To exp- uh, in our Verdant Grids, I had a couple of races where I had a particularly good start. I'd start at the back and work my way all the way through the field in a very short amount of time. So 
um, I wanted to show the new drivers why, how I was able to do it. It's like sometimes it wasn't necessarily faster. I would just make the right line choice or something. So I would break down sort of the, the mental process of what I was doing and why and do a, do a text. But to be able to do it with voiceover would be that much easier because you don't have to like read it. You just yeah. like watch it and it just flows. Yeah. We That's can make that idea. happen. I'll come out next season. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Cool. Next season in SoCal is like a month and a half away. Yeah. Well, next season is the whole year. This is the year round. <laughs> like, we, never ends. We stop racing for a couple of days, then we race again. Like, okay, yeah. next season. <laughs> Back so. in Ohio, you know, East Coast, where Austin and I are from, it's, you know, you shut down in November and you don't race until April. It's really nice for the wallet. It's, <laughs> it's really nice. You get a recovery period. That's why people don't, that's why it's, it's so, so hard for, for people to race with us because it's like all year. Once you're committed to the race season, it's like we, our first race is in Dan- January. And just last year was the first time we didn't have races in December because people get you know busy with uh, with uh, fa- family stuff and, and holidays. So we decided to have our last race um, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving because that's really when most people's lives go into turmoil. Like the week before Thanksgiving, relatives flying around, work schedules, holidays, all that stuff. Suddenly it's like to fit anything other than those things in, it's like this is a huge and it's especially for somebody's like fighting for points or like oh man i need to be at that race but i can't my you know my parents coming in from out of town blah 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 so it's like you know what last race is like two weeks before thanksgiving it gives people the time to shut down and then just coast through and and focus on their family and it's like you know what it's not pro racing it's just about the people and people have lives let's just shut it down so that's what we do now so anyway but we could run i mean it's 90 degrees in december so we could totally do it (laughs) but yeah we run january through november now okay Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of that way in the southeast too. But they, I think they take part of the summer off. Like, I don't think there's an August event for NASA. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we do. We it's too summer, hot. We do have a summer break. It's too hot. Well, yeah, it's what we hot. do? Yeah, we thin. We just too thin hot. It, we thin too events hot. up. What is that? <laughs> yeah. You've never, you've never experienced it. It's not. We didn't get humid here, but it's, you know, it's 110 degrees, and the track temperature is like 140. And then you're in um, the car. Yes, and with a suit on, and yeah. and it's if it's a weekend event, you're basically running around without air conditioning for if it's some tracks where there's no like a you know a brick and mortar building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just out in the in the sun for hundred, and it, you just no matter how much you drink and electrolytes, you're just completely <laughs> wasted. And it, you get where you're just not motivated. Like I just want to go home at the at the end of the weekend. You're fried. So those week uh, middle of the year when it's really hot, we thin out the schedule. We space them instead of being let's say six weeks apart. We go to like ten or twelve weeks apart. Hmm. We really made this big gap, and then we start bunching. So we sponge them, bunch them in uh, uh, the end of winter. So that's spring. the off season. Then summer is the off season here. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. We will have one race in in the summer. But and that's like Northern California, which is not so bad. Not so, yeah. not so boiling. <laughs> yeah. And people who are like in uh, Texas and South can relate to that. You know, to go to those tracks that don't have good uh, air-conditioned facilities and to race oh, all weekend. It's miserable. It's pretty darn it's hard. absolutely miserable. And, well, in Texas, it's actually humid there. Yeah. We don't have the community. Do I feel for those people who are getting the... It was like our grid life event in Atlanta in August, at the end of August. Oh, it it was great. Yeah. Three days of it. Yeah, yeah. I just that just takes everything out of you. Even if you're totally prepared, yeah. you're pacing yourself, you're drinking, you're not getting too drunk, you're still completely too fragged. Drunk. Yeah, too too drunk. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool guys. Well, really appreciate it. Like I said, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, coming out and hanging out in the future. Yeah, it'll so. be fun. We we'll, we'll look forward to it. I think I think you'll uh, I think you'll enjoy being in part of uh, the events. If you ever decide to bring your driving suit, we'll uh, we'll make it fun for you. Sounds great. Appreciate it.
Yeah, just I'll stand out there and announce. Do they have a PA? Do they have a PA? I'll go announce. Who's going to be the battle? 